specifically went after music, movies, to influence culture. Who here has seen that? Now you agree that the only way we can take back the culture is if we take back the arts. We take back music, we take back movies, we take back entertainment, and we manipulate it just like they do in a way that is righteous and good and that reflects our conservative values. Now, we have an organization here who is going to talk a little bit about that and the importance of that. Um, and this is ground zero, folks. This is ground zero. This is where we get mobilized. This is where um, we network and connect with the right people to start taking our country back. I'm very excited to introduce to you uh, the founder of Rebels for Cause, Courtney Turner. Thank you. Let's give her a round of applause. Well, thank you so much. That was such a great introduction. And thank you all for being here to support freedom because I think the free will of humanity is really in jeopardy right now. And it is people like you getting together, building local network reliance, sorry, local reliance network that are really the resistance. So thank you for that. I am the founder of the Cause Fest. Cause start, stands for Creative Artists Uniting for the Sovereignty of Everyone. Because as Lawrence so eloquently said, they have been attacking us via the arts, co-option of the arts. They've been using arts in order to create culture for social engineering of the masses. And I know a lot of people think that this is really recent. Uh, I, I always make the joke, you know, it took me a really long time to wake up. <laughs> and I always say that it took me forever to find the train stop. And then I found the high-speed rail, and now I'm scrambling to try and catch up. <laughs> so, so, but the reality is none of this is new. There's nothing new under the sun, right? So they, they've been at this for millennia. And they co-opt the arts because they're so powerful. And any powerful tool can really be used for good or can be used for evil, right? So as Lauren said, we, we want to be the voices of good, the voices of light, and really just stand for free will. And that's really what I'm going to talk about. And that's the reason I started this cause path. Because I was an actress. I was a film producer. I'm an aerial acrobatic artist. You can see that's me there. Uh, so... I believe in arts, and I think that artists are, you know, as human beings, there, there are things that make us uniquely human, and one of the things is that we're social creatures, and they, they've actually proven that one of the highest forms of torture is isolation. So, of course, what did they do to, in 2020 with all the six feet of separation, with, you know, you can't go visit uh, loved ones in hospitals, you have to wear a mask so they dehumanize you. And this is a form of torture. So we need to be social creatures and do in, support in-person events like this. So thank you for all the sponsors who are freedom-minded and help to make this happen. Because this is so incredibly important. And this is what the they, you know, I call them the powers that shouldn't be or the parasite class, because I, I, I think they really do want to create a neo-feudal system uh, where we are their serfs. Ultimately, I think they're creating a transhuman leading to a post-human world uh, where we are then, uh, it's controlled by like an AI hyborg mind that they program, and then we're all siloed in a metaverse. Uh, and and I, I don't want to live in a world like that. I don't know about any of you. <laughs> but I think the resistance to that is for us to be radically human. And I mean that in the etymological sense of the word. 
So radically means to be deeply rooted. And I think by us being deeply rooted in humanity, we have a chance at being a really strong resistance. So one of the first things is for us to congregate in person. You know, get to know your neighbors, build uh, networks, and, uh, you know, find your, your tribe, so to speak. And I think the other thing is that we are creative beings. And one of the ways that we create is through the arts. I'm going to share a little bit about me personally, uh, because we are the only creatures, as far as I know, who actually learn by proxy, meaning that we can learn through storytelling. We don't actually have to personally experience something in order to learn the lesson. And this is a beautiful thing, and it's part of why art is so powerful. This is why they do use music. They use movies, television, radio, um, to, in order to inculcate their messaging because storytelling is so powerful. So I was born with a very unique kind of set of circumstance. My mom was sick during first trimester of pregnancy, and uh, they actually misread the titer. This is how the story goes. So they had read it as being 112. And if the doctor had read it as being 121, which is what they believed it actually was, the doctor was dyslexic. They would have, my mom would have had an abortion. So I would not be here today. So I am very grateful for this doctor's mistake. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I believe I'm living proof that, you know, they don't know. And this is not to say that, you know, they all have nefarious intentions. However, uh, you know, you can just go look through the history of abortion. It does come out of the eugenics movement. And uh, I, it really, that's a, to me, it's a very Gnostic worldview. They, they think they know better and they want to play God and decide who should live, who should die. But when I was born, they were covering up for this doctor because they knew that he had made a mistake. And... Uh, they just kept denying there was anything wrong. And we finally found a doctor who confirmed I was born with a cataract in one of my eyes. And so I had to have a cataract removal when I was three months old. Back then, cataract removal was very different than it is today. Today, it's a pretty routine procedure. You know, most people have no complications. And usually the next day, they can see and they're up and about and walking around. However, that was not the case for me. They actually pulled my iris and they left debris behind my retina they had to go back and do what's called a retinal cleanup. When they did this, they found pigmentation behind my sighted eye. And they had determined at that time that I was going to be completely blind, completely deaf, autistic, retarded, immobile, and that the best my mother could hope for me was to find a very nice institution for me to spend my life. Fortunately, my mom did not uh, take this to heart and did not believe them. And fortunately, they were wrong. <laughs> However, we did find that there were several complications, and I was re rendered with several physical challenges, not limited to, but including I am blind in one eye, I am bilaterally hearing impaired, I actually learned how to speak by reading lips, so I didn't get hearing aids until I was almost six years old. And I had heart surgery when I was a year old, I was born with hypotonic limbs, fine graphic motor impairment, dundee growth, asymmetrical bone development, lots of challenges. So... My parents were very concerned about what the future was going to look like, and they did sue, and it was called the wrongful birth case. Now, I will just preface by saying I don't think my parents thought I was wrongfully born, but that was the angle that they took uh, because there were several challenges. And I share all this with you so that you know where 
I'm coming from with uh, why I even started this and why I started my podcast. So I found myself, like many people in 2020, feeling incredibly isolated, depressed, demoralized, um, and really just very uh, frustrated and in a lot of ways just really scared about the future. I had... Uh, I was an actress, and you know, of course, all the film production was shut down. And then later, you know, if you didn't have, you didn't wear masks, you weren't jabbed, you couldn't participate in any of the union productions. Um, I was also speaking at the time, and I was doing aerial acrobatic performances. I was doing motivational speaking, uh, you, talking about using movement as a metaphor for life, and how we can use our physical training as a teacher to help us overcome adversity in other areas of life. Those were all canceled and shut down, and I was working as a coach at two CrossFit gyms, and I got fired from both of them pretty much around the same time, and I can't prove it, but I'm 99% sure they did not like me being vocal about my uh, political views. <laughs> so all that to say that people had suggested I start a podcast. I started a podcast. I you know, looked into what a podcast was. At the time, I knew nothing about podcasting. You know, I keep telling people the joke that somebody had heard about my birth story and said, you need to be on Rogan. And I said, uh, what's a Rogan? Why do I need to be on it? Um, <laughs> so I, for the record, know who Rogan is now and understand why he is so, uh, you know, uh, quintessential in podcasting and why people were saying that. But I didn't at the time. And when I started doing this research, I was terrified of the idea. But then it dawned on me, I could have naked face conversations and that might, you know, do wonders to boost my morale and maybe just save me. So I committed to doing six months of not necessarily airing them, but just recording conversations. And it really just did wonders for me. The guests seemed to enjoy it. And then after about six months, I got off the nerve to finally release these. So this is all my very long-winded way of saying that one of the things that I learned as I started diving into all this research was how much propaganda has affected me and my life, even when I did not think that it had. You know, we, we all think we're impervious. And the reality is that none of us are impervious to conditioning and programming and propaganda. And none of us know what we don't know. So I started diving into this and of course, propaganda is not a new, uh, is not new at all, as I was saying. You know, it was used in uh, ancient Greece, right? For, they used, did it back then through art, uh, through the Olympics, which is the origins of the modern day Olympics, so through sports. Uh, it was used through theatrical performances. And then ancient Rome, okay, we can put up the next slide, sorry. Right? We've all heard this saying, the bread and circuses, give them bread and circuses, and they will never revolt. So it's a way of pacifying people. You put the next slide. And this is uh, just to, you know, uh, reiterate that. Next slide. So we'll get to this one in just a minute. But the, So that was ancient Rome. And uh, then this is the oldest probably known uh, form of propaganda, and it was a form of a steel uh, that was commissioned by Hammurabi, who was the sixth king of Babylon in 1792 to 1750 BC. And it's an artistic structure, as you can see, that was presenting a code of 20, 281 laws. And it's where the idiom, an eye for an eye, comes from. 
I'm going to do the next slide. Okay, so this is the Wellington House, which was the British Propaganda Bureau. It was also known as the Lie Factory, literally. Uh, they created this uh, Propaganda Bureau because, as they do typically when you have wartime, they do a lot of things where I, I always make the joke that if they put the D in front of it, then they have a carte blanche budget, black ops budget to do whatever they want covertly. And oftentimes what we find, you know, not always, but a lot of times what we find later in hindsight, because hindsight's 2020, right? We find out that they've weaponized a lot of that research and a lot of those discoveries that were supposed to be done in the name of defense and protecting us against our so-called enemy. Oftentimes what happens, they weaponize against their own people and that they usually play both sides. And this is really, really essential for people to understand. The same people typically fund, you know, not just both sides of wars, but both sides of propaganda. So this was the, uh, it was called the Wellington House. It later became the Tavistock Institute of Human Relations under, that, that's kind of a very long story, which we'll give you the cliff notes right now, but it became the Tavistock Institute uh, through a grant from the Rockefellers uh, in 1946. But when they first started as this uh, lie factory, what did they do? They used arts. They appointed a ma chairman masterman to lead this Wellington house. And he held a meeting. The first thing he did was he called a meeting with 25 literary authors to do books and pamphlets. And there were a lot of very famous names you might be familiar with, like Chesterton, H.G. Wells, William Archer, Hall Caine, Arthur Doyle, Arnold Bennett, right? These are pretty big names. I was very, very devastated to find out that Rudyard Kipling was in this list. The poem If is actually one of my all-time favorite poems. <laughs> um, but he actually didn't make the meeting, but he was used as an asset. And they had written 1,600 publications between pamphlets and books for the purpose of swaying popular opinion, particularly in the United States, but also in Great Britain, to engage in World War I on the side of Great Britain. And uh, they, this is where they did things like weaponize. I'm sure a lot of you have heard the term conspiracy theorist being, being used as a derogatory term recently. Well, that's not new. It comes out, out of document 1035-960. The CIA weaponized the term in a document called Countering the Warren Commission to avert any attention or any investigation to JFK's assassination. Well, very similarly, the Wellington House weaponized the term isolationist because they wanted to gain support and justification for support in engaging the First World War. We saw this resurface with, uh, some of you may remember, with Ron Paul, right? He was garnering a lot of popularity with the political right, and they couldn't have that. And so the way that they tried to discredit him was they kept talking about his crazy Looney Tune foreign policy, you know, and they kept saying he's an isolationist. So they, they, this is what they do. They weaponize terms. They had created something called the Creel Committee. They appointed, it was Wilson who appointed George Creel to help head this committee. And then he appointed, you might be familiar with these names, um, Edward Bernays and Walter Lippmann. So Edward Bernays is typically thought to be the father of uh, modern day propaganda. And uh, he wrote the book, Propaganda. And Walter Lippmann was a journalist. 
And the whole purpose of this was to sway popular opinion in favor of engaging in the First World War. And uh, it, this was a tall order because Wilson actually ran on the campaign that he would not engage us in the First World War. So they, I'm going to speed through some of this because we are running out of time. But this, he, what did he do? He created a film division. Uh, and so he had several very successful films to create propaganda. He created the Division of Pictorial Publicity, which you, you might remember the very famous uh, Uncle Sam pointing the finger saying, we want you. Um, all right, so I'm going to go really fast through the next thing. You can put the next slide. Um, this was the uh, RCA propaganda machine. And uh, there was also, 1937, there was the Radio Research Project. So they used radio. And then, of course, later it was television. Uh, so yeah, so this was the Beat the Promise here, which was during World War II. All right, so I'm going to get to the how do we fight all of this. I think I'm actually going to skip all this just in the name of time. But I believe that they, <laughs> sorry, um, we can scroll to the next one just so you can see some of the slides. Yeah, the next one. Um, we can go to the next, yeah. Okay, so our CIA actually has a, like, entertainment liaison. And uh, uh, so sorry, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through all of it, but some of the very famous films that they've used are, like, Homeland, Zero Dark Thirty, Black Hawk Down. So they've actually consulted uh, with the CIA for films and script supervision. Um, the, of course, the British have a very similar uh, department as well. So we'll go. The FBI has a has a department also. <laughs> um, so they have been very. And then of course, a lot of you may be very familiar with the uh, Timothy Leary drug experiments and the Grateful Dead music uh, how, that was used to for culture creation and social engineering. And a little interesting tidbit: I talked about Tavistock. So Eric Triss was one of the leading psychologists in the Tavistock Institute of Human Relations. His son was Alan Triss, who was the producer for The Grateful Dead. I don't think that's a coincidence because they do like to keep it in the family. So we can go to the next ones. Um, and the next one. Sorry. Next one. <laughs> okay. So I believe they have a trinity, the they, the parasite class that they worship. And it... It is, you know, they start with the triple Ds is what I call it. They start with deception, so they like to distort, deceive, manipulate. And this is the power of propaganda. And then what is the purpose? It's to divide and conquer. This is why they have to play both sides. And it's very, very powerful. And then, uh, of course, they can't create, so they like to destroy. And that's why I call them the death cult, because destruction leads to death. We go to the next one. All right, so what are the solutions to counter? So I think when you identify, you know, know thy enemy, then you can look for solutions. And how do we combat all of this? So here's the next, next slide. All right, so we should seek truth, shine light on it, and spread it. The next one. Unite and don't play the violent re reactionary and fall for dialectical traps. This is really important. The next one. Create life, art, solutions, and innovation. Next slide. Right, all right, so really, really briefly, I'm sure you've heard of the Hegelian dialectic. We don't have time for me to go into all of the, the philosophical points here, but the main key point, I know most people hear thesis, antithesis, synthesis, but that was actually Hegel responding to Kant, and he was rejecting both Kant and Plato's notion of the dialectic because he felt it was too abstract, 
And he wanted something that was more scientific. This was in his book, Science, the uh, Science of Logic. And he, want, he saw it kind of as a spiral that leads towards an omega point. And we might call that omega point something like the new world order. And the mid word, it was really about the abstract, negative, and then concrete. But the mid word that he used was called Afhaben. It's a German word, it's a very contradictory word. It's strange because it's oxymoronic, but it means to lift up while tearing down. And this is really, really essential for people to understand because this is what they do with cancel culture, which was born at the Frankfurt School, which was called Afhaben Du Culture. All right, we can go to the next one. All right, so the cause fast. <laughs> Creative artists uniting for the sovereignty of everyone. I believe that the independent artists are a huge antidote to their agenda because they are the people who can color outside the lines, step outside the sorcerer's circle, and not fall for the dialectical narratives that are being put forth. And unfortunately, so many artists are being canceled today. You know, the comedians, nothing's funny anymore because they're not allowed to say anything. You know, the musicians, if they're, uh, you know, saying anything that's out of line with the mainstream, they can't build a career. Um, and I, I don't have to talk about Hollywood. I think we, we're all familiar. Uh, but I, so I really want to give a platform to the independent creative artists. So you can, if you're interested in supporting us, the last one had 53 acts between speakers, musicians, comedians, filmmakers. We had panel discussions. I did two aerial acrobatic routines. That picture is from one of them. Um, so it was an incredible event, and uh, you know, it was also really fun. So the parent company is actually the Freedom Unity Network, <laughs> because I really believe that if we let them rob our joy, then there's no point. Right? What is the point of even learning all this information and trying to create solutions if we can't have fun? And that's one thing that art and entertainment does. So I, I've taken up so much of your time, and I really appreciate you all listening. If you want to support, you can go to that QR code. It is an incredibly expensive venture. So any sponsors, any donations are greatly welcome. And if you're in the area, we're looking to do it in Florida next time. So if you're able to make it, you know, check out the site. We'll be updating as soon as we are able. And uh, we'll have the venue and all the information there. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.